The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I'm delighted to welcome my guest, Ms. Eva Greenthal. She is a senior science policy associate at the Center for Science in the Public Interest, where her work focuses on food labeling, food safety, and scientific integrity. Prior to joining CSPI, Ms. Greenthal led a pilot evaluation of the nation's first hospital-based food pantry in Boston, and she worked on research initiatives related to alcohol literacy and healthy habits for young children. She holds a dual MS and Master's of Public Health degree in food policy and applied nutrition from the prestigious Tufts University, as well as a BA in environmental studies from the University of Michigan. Welcome, Eva. Hi, Melinda. It's great to be with you. Well, CSPI hosted an excellent webinar on the Food Labeling Modernization Act of 2021, and I thought it would be of use to our listeners to go over not only some of the highlights of this bill, should it pass, but also some of the shortcomings that we as consumers face in the marketplace when it comes to buying processed and packaged foods. And that number is quite significant. I think I saw a statistic that 65% of calories that Americans consume come from processed foods. And those foods, of course, come in a package. So tell me, how did you become interested in labeling? That's a great question. I think Really, I started as a consumer, and just like everyone else, I spend a lot of time at the grocery store shopping for food and find it a very overwhelming task (laughs) to identify foods that will be healthy and nourishing for myself and my family, and I'm in the policy advocacy arena, and I think there are advocacy tools, the policy tools that can be used to improve the food label and to make it much easier for people to select healthy foods. And so I, I've put a lot of energy into that over the last few years. Well, the Center for Science and Public Interest has a long history of working on the Hill, trying to get policies passed to make our food system a bit more transparent. And so I commend your efforts on that. This particular bill, I know that we are working on that. We are. It is in process. It's titled the Food Labeling Modernization Act of 2021. And I want to talk about some of the loopholes and shortfalls that labels have right now that this act is hoping to correct. And of course, I am a big fan of pulling back the curtains on food labels. One of the things that irks me are misleading labels that make processed foods look healthier than they really are. And I wondered if we could just go through some of those labels. I think you had a blueberry bagel package. This was under the misleading fruit and vegetable claims. And the package artists that create these wonderful looking visuals really do suck us in, right? So we buy food with our eyes first. And how many of us are really looking at the fine print 
when we go to the store, we're looking at bagels. We think, oh, yeah, blueberry bagel, that will be healthy. Are blueberries really in bagels usually? Well, I can speak to the particular product that I pulled into this slide you saw in this webinar, and, and it's this blueberry bagel product, and you can it's a clear package, so you can see through the bag to the actual bagel, and you can see these blobs of blue that for all you would know, they're dried blueberries or blueberries somehow preserved in this packaged product. But if you look closely at the ingredient list, you learn that it's actually something called blueberry gumbit, and the first ingredient in blueberry gumbit is sugar. And there's also some blue food dye in there. And then it's not till the end of the ingredients list in the contains 2% or less section where it says there's just a tiny little amount of actual dried blueberries in this product. So it's pretty misleading to call them blueberry bagels and to make it look like these gobs of sugar are real blueberries. So how would the Food Labeling Modernization Act correct that label? So what the Food Labeling Modernization Act will do is require that on any food that makes a fruit or vegetable claim, and that could be the word blueberry or an image of a, a blueberry or another fruit or vegetable, those products will need to have a disclosure of the amount per serving of blueberries or of the fruit or vegetable in common household measures. So that would be, for instance, teaspoons per serving. And then for a product like these blueberry bagels where it's basically a negligible amount, the bill wouldn't require that it say one sixty-fourth of a teaspoon. It would, below a certain amount, have to say contains no servings of blueberries. And wow. that will at least help counteract the misleading claims about fruits and vegetables. Exactly. Well, you know, I thought it was interesting, too. Another product you brought forth that has been on my pet peeve list for a long time is Sunny D. And it's ironically sold in the refrigerator case. And years ago, when I was working on childhood obesity issues, I remember investigating this product, and I was told that it actually didn't really need to be refrigerated. It already has a requirement. You know, juices and beverages have to have the percentage of juice listed. And of course, Sunny D has only 5% juice, despite the fact that they've got beautiful images of citrus fruits on the label. And I think a lot of parents buy this beverage. I, th I think it's got fortification with vitamin C. So it's basically like taking a vitamin supplement in a sweetened beverage. But it's got a lot of sugar and not a lot of fruit juice. So how would this act improve that label? Exactly. Sunny D indeed is, the, is one of my pet peeve products as well with its pictures of oranges on the front. And another issue that I think makes the labeling of that product particularly misleading is the 100% vitamin C claim that's very prominent, whereas the 5% juice disclosure is in smaller print on the back. The 100% vitamin C is on the front, and that's something that parents might confuse with saying 100% juice or having the same nutritional value as 100% juice. So the Food Labeling Modernization Act would put the amount of juice disclosure on the front of package rather than on the back so that parents and any consumer would be more likely to see it and have it counteract the other marketing claims on the front. Yeah, that's fantastic because I know you do have to look hard to find that 5% juice. So that's excellent. So that would move it to the front of package. And we should talk about the front of package labeling. 
And I think what was so interesting in your webinar was that by having a requirement for front of package labeling, basically alerting consumers to a product that contains a large amount of sugar, for example, or a low amount of real fruit juice, that triggers industry reformulation. Yes, absolutely. So when we talk about front of package nutrition labeling in general, we're usually referring to a system of labeling that takes key information from the nutrition facts label, which can be very complex and and requires more time and literacy and numeracy to analyze and utilize. It takes that information, simplifies it, uses things like colors or shapes or symbols, graphic representations, and puts it on the front of the package. And this is really a more accessible, quick and easy tool for consumers looking to evaluate the healthfulness of foods and and compare one food to another. Yeah. And I really like the way it not only would alert consumers to a product they might not want to buy, but again, this idea that it would push the industry to, say, maybe add less sugar to their products or less sodium by having some sort of warning. And I think just to give our listeners a visual, these are things like stoplights or grades like A, B, C, or D. Do you know which of those front-of-label package tools are the most friendly to consumers that are most understandable? So it's clear from the research that the simpler the better, and that's part of why we particularly advocate for high in sugar, high in saturated fat, high in sodium warnings. And the other reason, like you alluded to, is the effect on industry and reformulation. So there's actually dozens of other countries now who have implemented government-led front-of-package labeling. And in many cases, this is a mandatory requirement that companies put these high-end labels on the front of their packages if their products exceed certain levels of salt, sugar, and fat. And Chile is a country, one of the first countries to implement this in 2016. So we have some really great data coming out of Chile evaluating the impact of this law on their food supply. And we see really important, significant decreases, especially in the sugar in the processed food supply, which really shows that industry is reformulating foods with lower amounts of sugar to avoid having to put a high-end sugar label on products, which is a fantastic outcome from a public health perspective because it doesn't even require consumers to change their behavior. It's, there's a difference in what's available to them in the store. Right. And until we have this kind of regulation in place, consumers really have to rely on what we have right now. Since we're talking about sugar, I want to bring up another area where there is a lot of confusion, where people are going, they're thirsty, they maybe they stop for gas, they run inside a, a quick convenience store, and they think, well, you know, I'm not going to get a soda, I think I'm going to get something more healthful, so I'll get a bottle of green tea. So green tea, as we know, is high in antioxidants. We think it's a healthy beverage until we start looking at the amount of sugar in these some of these products. But what concerned me was that some of these beverages actually say lightly sweetened or just a tad sweet when they actually contain 20 to 25 grams of sugar per bottle. 
which is considered to be one serving. And I think it's important, since most people don't speak in terms of grams, for us to translate that. So anytime you see a gram number, you divide by four to get the teaspoons. So if you've got a bottle of green tea and it's got 20 grams of sugar per serving, you divide by four and you find out that it's got five teaspoons of sugar. And the American Heart Association recommends no more than six teaspoons of added sugar per day for women, no more than nine teaspoons per day of added sugar for men. And for children younger than two years, they should have no added sugar at all. So how will the Food Labeling Modernization Act improve upon things like green teas and other beverages that contain an inordinate amount of sugar? Yes, this is a big problem that we have several tea products on the market right now that call themselves lightly sweetened, slightly sweet, sort of sweet, but actually have enough added sugars in them to qualify as a high sugar product. And of course, a product can't be both low in sugar and high in sugar at the same time. Part of the issue here is that the FDA defines the types of claims that companies can use. So it defines what low sodium means and what low fat means and what level a food has to have to bear those types of claims. But the agency has not set a level that defines what low sugar means or what low added sugar means. And so companies are making these kind of implied low sugar claims at any level because there's no official level. So what the bill will do is it will set a level, and that level will be one at which a product would actually be low in added sugars, and that is around 3 grams per serving rather than 20 to 25 grams per serving. And then that 3 grams would be less than 1 teaspoon. And gosh, I have advocated for years to move those grams over to teaspoons so people could understand that, and I know that the industry has pushed back on making that transition. It's probably better for them, for consumers not to know. I want to call out Honest Tea in particular. They're an organic tea, so people might assume that it's going to be healthier than the next. And certainly organic farming methods do have an advantage over conventional ones. But for Honest Tea to put a label on that says just a tad sweet and then have 25 grams of added sugar is just not very consumer-friendly. I need to just take one break, Eva, and remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are speaking with Ms. Eva Greenthal. She is a senior science policy associate at the Center for Science and the Public Interest, and her work focuses on food labeling, food safety, and scientific integrity. She recently hosted a webinar on food labeling and the new front package labels that we hope to see changed through the Food Labeling Modernization Act of 2021. Of course, it will take time to get this bill passed, and then it will require probably at least a year or more before manufacturers will have to change their labels. So we're dealing with how to navigate food labels today as they are with their deficits. Let's talk about some of the other issues that this act is going to look at. For example, caffeine. I never really thought about the products that I might buy in the supermarket that contain caffeine, such as like if I'm going to buy coffee ice cream. How would a consumer know how much caffeine is in that? 
Well, currently on most foods, there's absolutely no way to know how much caffeine is in a product. So a, a determined consumer might reach out to the company. They may or may not respond with the information, aren't required to. And that's something the, the Food Labeling Modernization Act will address by requiring labeling of the caffeine content and the milligrams of caffeine per serving. Good. And the label would require it if the product contained more than 10 milligrams per serving. And I think you had an example of a haagen coffee ice cream. And how much caffeine was in one serving? Do you recall? Again, it's really difficult to find out the actual amount, but from some information we've seen from the company, it appears there's about 29 milligrams of caffeine per serving in haagen coffee ice cream, which, you know, is a substantial amount of caffeine and, and some people need to limit or avoid caffeine. So it is really important information to know and to have on the label. Right. And I think it's also important to look at the per serving size. So for ice cream, it might be half a cup, but maybe for the average consumer, it's more like half a container. So we have to do the math to realize just how much more we're getting of each of those nutrients. Let's move on and let's talk about two labels that drive me a little crazy. And those would be the healthy label and the natural label. And you had one of my favorite scientists in your webinar, Mike Hansen from Consumer Reports. And he's a senior scientist there, and he showed some striking data about how people read the natural label, what people expect from the natural label, like what they expect it to mean versus what it really means. And consumers actually preferred the natural over the organic label, even though the organic label delivers so much more. So what would the Food Labeling Modernization Act do to help protect consumers about any misunderstandings about what the natural label means or does not? So what you said, Melinda, is exactly right. Consumers are hugely confused about the meaning of the term natural when it's used on food labels. People think that it tells you something about whether pesticides were used in the production of the food, whether there is genetically modified ingredients processing aids, all these different things, none of which the term actually means because it's very ill-defined and poorly regulated at present. So what the Food Labeling Modernization Act will do is require that if a food label uses the term natural, it also has to include a disclosure with the definition of that term, and, and that would then require FDA to create a definition for the term. And this would really be an educational initiative to dispel the widespread misconceptions about the meaning of natural. And it will also be important to the organic food industry that currently faces really unfair competition from the natural food market. Absolutely. And ditto for the label healthy. I know that those of us who work in public health have been clamoring for some kind of definition for healthy, but there really isn't one, is there? So healthy is another very ill-defined term at present, and there's a little bit more there than for natural, but the FDA has said they're currently in the process of creating a strengthened uh, and a new updated definition for healthy. So it depends whether the Food Labeling Modernization Act passes first or FDA comes out with its new regulations first, but the FLMA 
would add some really important requirements for foods that want to call themselves healthy, like limiting the amount of added sugars in those foods. If it's a grain food, it would have to have 100% of the grains come from whole grains. It would have a revised sodium level to align with the current recommendations around sodium consumption and important changes like those. Right. And I think that it's so important for people to understand that there are no strong legal definitions of those terms, natural and healthy, but boy, do they convey a benefit to the consumer in the marketplace. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to gluten labels, gluten-free. I thought it was interesting that 1% of the American population, or 3 million Americans, have celiac disease. And I think it's important for those individuals especially to realize that gluten is a toxin for them. 13% of Americans are somehow gluten intolerant or sensitive. And then 23% of Americans are actively looking to avoid gluten. And there is a requirement for foods to state on the label if they contain wheat because People with celiac disease or who are gluten intolerant must avoid wheat. But they also have to avoid barley and rye. And I thought what was so interesting is that ingredients such as yeast or smoky flavors or malt syrup could have a barley base and therefore cause a problem for individuals with celiac disease. How do people with celiac disease navigate this space now? Yeah, so having spoken to lots of advocates from the celiac disease community, people who have it themselves, who have children with celiac, I've learned that it is just a nightmare to navigate food labels and to figure out which foods they can and can't eat because they have to look very closely at the ingredients list, which has its own issues. It's very small and in this condensed font, all capital letters often really not a user-friendly tool, especially when you're trying to look for things that pose a serious risk to your health. And that's why there are rules around certain major food allergens, one of which is wheat. But the rules for labeling major food allergens haven't previously taken to it, into account the gluten-containing grains, which are wheat, barley, and rye, and so what the Food Labeling Modernization Act will do, and this is really something that will pose a huge benefit to the celiac disease community and anyone else who needs to avoid gluten-containing grains, is it will more clearly identify the same way it does other major food allergens, whether foods contain barley or rye, including in the natural flavors or in yeast extracts, malt syrup, these types of ingredients that don't have barley in their name, but actually do contribute barley to the diet. Yeah, that is just so interesting to me. You know, basically, if an individual is suffering with celiac disease or gluten intolerance, the best thing for them to do is cook from scratch and not use any processed foods unless we have much better labeling in the marketplace. The other area that the act would include would be phosphorus content. And I recall going to a dietetics meeting many years ago, looking at phosphorus in the diet, 
and how many additives contain phosphorus and how detrimental they are to anyone with kidney disease. So this new Food Labeling Modernization Act would require phosphorus content on the label. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And, and this is another one like caffeine where it's just it's this component that's present in foods, but it's completely opaque currently for consumers how much phosphorus is in those foods. And it's just something that you would have to reach out to a company to find out about. And the Food Labeling Modernization Act would require that it be on the label and the amount per serving. Yeah. We just have a few minutes left, and I do want to give you a chance to bring anything forward. But I have to touch on one topic that I think is so critical, and that has to do with artificial food dyes. And you brought this up in the webinar. In the European Union, a warning statement is required on food labels where artificial food dyes are included. Not so in the United States? That's right. There's no warning required in the United States, and there's actually um, no disclosure at all required other than in the ingredients list where they might not be clearly identified as artificial colors. So the Food Labeling Modernization Act would require a disclosure. It doesn't go so far as to include a a warning, but this should hopefully indicate to parents, especially the children who have predispositions to hyperactivity and behavioral issues that might be exacerbated by consuming foods with artificial colors to the presence of those in foods. Yeah. All right. This is a huge bill, and it's going to take a lot of continued work. Bring forth anything else that you want our listeners to know. Sure. So I think one element of the bill, a couple of elements of the bill that we didn't touch on yet that I think will be really impactful for all consumers. One is online food labeling. Currently, the food labeling laws don't cover foods sold online. They only refer to what's required on the physical food package, and that's just because they're outdated. They were written before anybody anticipated we'd be shopping for groceries from our homes. And so the Food Labeling Modernization Act will require that all the information uh, related to nutrition and ingredients that's required on food packages is also available at the point of sale online, and that's a really important change for the modern consumer. Anything else? If we're running out of time, I'll just end by saying that it's been more than 30 years since the government overhauled food labels, and that that was in 1990 with the Nutrition Labeling and Education Act. It is about time that labels get another update, and the Food Labeling Modernization Act will do that. It will make some key changes that are really in the interest of consumers, of transparency, and enable people to make healthier choices. So we're really excited about seeing the bill move forward. And what can consumers do to help that bill move forward, and where can they learn more? So the best way to advocate for the FLMA is to write to your representative, urging them to support the bill. And you can do this by visiting Center for Science in the Public Interest website, which is cspinet.org. And you can go to our Take Action page and find our action alert, which makes it really easy for you to write to your representatives to support the FLMA. And that's cspinet.org. All right. And I will provide a link to that also in our show notes. There is a lot more to review about food labels. You had a lot of good examples in the webinar. I think reading the ingredient label 
is a really important piece of advice that we can give consumers until we have much better front of label information as well as fixes to some of the loopholes that exist today. We've got to close, unfortunately, but I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Ms. Eva Greenthal, Senior Science Policy Associate at the Center for Science and the Public Interest. Thank you so much for your time today, Eva. Thanks so much, Melinda. 